Oh, Heavenly Father, great, almighty God, thank you that um, you're a God who has made yourself known to us and you've done so, so um, amazingly through the pages of your word given through your prophets and apostles. Um, as we um, hear your word uh, read and preached today, we pray that you would soften our hearts. Please uh, open not just the ears of our brains, but um, the very... Um, Open our hearts to be receptive to your word and please transform us deeply. Uh, help us to see your glory and grace and majesty and goodness and please uh, change our lives uh, through your powerful word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tom. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkot, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians... All Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there, the Egyptians, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, 
Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw them into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. It's just a delight to be part of a network of churches and Narelle and I are so glad to be able to be down here today amongst you and uh, so glad also for Duncan to reciprocate um, back with us. Um, what an awesome story, hey? 
This is an amazing story. Much less awesome is my story this morning. We drove down, and um, after this, I have to get to the airport and go to Sydney. And so we had our bag packed, and I went round to the boot of the car and opened it, and I joked to myself, and I thought, oh, wouldn't that be funny if I had forgotten my sermon? And, um, you know, I thought, ah, but doesn't matter because it's in my bag. But then I opened my suitcase, and it wasn't. It's on the kitchen table. So... Um, so there you go. So you're going to have to indulge me. I did bring my laptop, so I don't normally do this, but I'm much less awesome than the Lord, all right? So <laughs> let's, let's uh, pray together. Our loving and gracious Father, such a great thing to be in your word today. Moses at the burning bush stood on holy ground, and we feel like we're standing on holy ground as we hear the story of the Exodus again and think on it. Our loving and gracious God. Um, please speak to our hearts and remind us of you, who you are to us, and also who you are to us in Jesus. May we love him more and appreciate your salvation more because of today. So please ignite our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you might have wondered the question, what is God really like? Not what do you think God is like, but what is God really like? And if you want to know, of course, one of the best places to go is a redemption story. And this is one of the best. Later generations of Israelites, when they'd want to share the gospel, they went back to this moment, just like we go back to when Jesus died and rose again. So for before Jesus, this was their gospel, okay? This is when God revealed himself. And it's a story that's so clear, I want to begin with the application and Carla, can you just flick to that? Thanks very much. Um, at the end of the story, we read, when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. They put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Now that's our application. It's right there. Once we've seen the great power of the Lord, that the only clear, right, unavoidable response is to fear him. That means to be in awe of him and then to put our trust in him and in his servant and to sing out of joy, to exalt him, to lift him up, because he is greater than any other God. So there it is. Okay, I want us to imagine that we are now all Israelites standing on the shore of the Red Sea, okay? You have just left Egypt, and you're no longer a slave, and God has delivered you and the rest of your people through 10 devastating plagues that, of course, have fallen on Pharaoh, including that most awful and horrific one, the last one, which led the firstborn sons of Egypt dead. And that was that plague that issued forth in your ejection from Egypt. And so with mighty power and an outstretched arm, God has redeemed you. And yet, now you're standing on the shore of the Red Sea. In front of you... It's only water. And then you look behind 
and there's a cloud of dust rising, and that is coming from the Egyptian chariots, which are now hurtling towards you to destroy you. You are trapped, and your feeling in the sickening pit of your gut is that of terror. The Lord promised to deliver you from the Egyptians, and in part, that's what you've experienced. But now, you're staring death in the face, and everyone around you is thinking, why on earth did we leave Egypt in the first place? I mean, we were slaves, but at least we'd still live to see tomorrow, right? So it's like standing there on the shores of um, the Red Sea. You are between two moments of redemption. God has led you out of Egypt, but you're still on this side of the Red, of the Red Sea. Death is still a very real likelihood. Now, I just want to say for everyone here who has pledged allegiance to Christ, who's committed themselves to the Lord and his servant, I just want to say we know how the Israelites felt because we also stand between two points of redemption. So we can look back and we can see, yes, God has saved us through Jesus, our Passover lamb. He has delivered us from slavery to sin and death. Amen? That is great. Okay. But on the other hand, looking forward, we are a long way from the promised land. We are on this side of the Red Sea. We're redeemed from slavery to sin, but sin still rears its ugly head. We are free from the fear of death, and yet what's facing us is death. We're on the shore. We're stuck between God's initial delivery and his final delivery. We stand with the Israelites on the shores of the Red Sea, and at times, let's face it, in the pit of your gut, it is frightening. Our world creation, it bears sin's curse, doesn't it? And in Australia, we know this. We know it. Drought, fire, flood. There is sickness and death to contend with. There is conflict. And we still have Satan, the enemy, intent on destroying us. Planting doubts in our mind, wanting us to question God, give up on God, abandon our faith out of fear. Because did you hear the doubt? Did you hear the fear in the Israelites' voices? Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They are afraid. What sort of God do we have to help us in this situation? Well, we, brothers and sisters, have a God, the Lord, who fights for us. That's the main point. We have a fighting God. Yes, we have a fighting God. Listen again to Moses' words to the fearful Israelites. Thanks, Carla. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So when God's people are overcome with fear, we need to know that we have a God who fights for us. Can you remember that moment in um, school when you were the victim of immense bullying or being made fun of? Can you remember when you were perhaps beset upon by other people who were pushing you around and rubbing your nose in the dirt? What do you need at that point when you are too weak to defend? You need someone who will fight for you, don't you? 
And the Lord is a God who fights for you. Okay. The story goes on. By now the Egyptian army have all but caught up to the Israelites. So what is God going to do? Now God has already revealed himself here as a caring leader. So he, he led them in a visible column by, by day and fire by night. Column of cloud. And, and that was a kindness because the Lord didn't have to do that. The Lord is spirit, but in kindness he gave them a visible sign of his presence so that everyone knew who was leading them. It wasn't Moses. It was the Lord, right? They were the Lord's people. This had never happened before, God turning up, doing this. It's an immense kindness to them. And what's more, the Lord showed his kindness by also accommodating himself to their weaknesses and conditions. So he could have led them along the coastal route. That's the quickest route to Canaan. But that way is heavily guarded. The Lord knew that a military confrontation was too much for these people at this stage because look how afraid they are here. So the Lord reveals himself not just as their leader but a very caring leader who deals with them in their weaknesses. And yet now for all his caring, for all his good intent... The Egyptians are now almost upon them. What will he do? Is he going to change his plan? No, no, this has been his plan all along. So he's deliberately turned the Israelites towards the sea. His aim was to confuse Pharaoh into thinking the Israelites themselves were confused. The Lord's aim was to draw out Pharaoh and his chariots after them. And why? Thanks, Carla. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now I want you to see that is the expressed purpose of this confrontation. It's the Lord's own glory. The Israelites' redemption, that's secondary. That's not the primary purpose. And that ought to make us think. You know, we have our fears, but guess what? God's resolving our fears. He's not center place in his plans. The Lord isn't a fairy godmother who exists solely for us. The Lord isn't our genie who grants we Aladdins our every wish if we rub him the right way. It's not like we're at the center of the solar system and God revolves around us. He's at the centre and we revolve around him. Central to God's plans is his desire that the world would give him the glory. And we pray for this, right? Hallowed be your name. Jesus taught us to pray this. That's what we're praying. Now, we might object, we might balk. Who does he think he is, all high and mighty? You know God? Yes. (laughs) We are not dealing with an equal here. And so when the king of Egypt finds out that all the Israelites have fled and he changes his minds and thinks, what have we done? We've just ruined our economy. And he summons 600 of the best chariots along with every other chariot in Egypt. He, He chases after them to pursue them initially to bring them back. But the Lord hardens his heart so that by now the Egyptians want to destroy the Israelites. Chapter 15, verse 9, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I'll divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. The the, the Israelites are terrified. What's the Lord going to do? 
Well, the Lord is going to fight for his people. Watch, see the Lord our God. First of all, he reveals his plan. Moses, raise your staff. Stretch it out over the waters of the Red Sea. The waters will be divided. The Israelites will go through on dry ground. Can you believe this? Imagine you are not familiar with the story, right? You've never seen Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments, right? Can you imagine to Moses what this would have sounded like? You are going to what? You're going to divide the waters? The Lord says he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart even further. The Egyptians will rush in after them. You want us to go in there? <laughs> and, and they're going to come after us. <laughs> the Lord says, I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army. Because I want the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And now I love this. This is the Lord, right? He moves from his position in front of the Israelites in his pillar of cloud and fire and he comes between the Israelites who are fleeing and the Egyptians who are pursuing. The Lord comes and he makes himself Israel's rear guard before the approaching Egyptian army. And for his people, the Israelites, even though it's nighttime, the Lord shines light all around them so that they can see. And to the Egyptians, his cloud brings darkness and blackness. They cannot see the Israelites. Moses stretches out his hand over the Red Sea. And if you're older, you'll, you'll know the scene. Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments. If you're younger, you'll know the scene from the Prince, Prince of Egypt. Thank you. There you go. Okay. The Lord sends this great east wind. It was a wind that divided the sea. That would be a strong wind, right? Can you imagine? The waters separate. The walls of water appear. The Israelites enter into the Red Sea. They are walking through it on dry ground. It's almost, when you think about it, like what happened in Genesis 1, isn't it? When God spoke and dry land appeared out of the sea, it is, what's this, a new act of magnitude like that yes all that night the israelites hurry across the seabed there's a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left it is an amazing moment they experience the lord's redemption the israelites rushing into the waters the lord behind them behind him is the egyptian army rushing after them in pursuit but the lord is in a shield He's a shield, a shield of light to the Israelites, a shield of darkness to the Egyptians. And then during the last watch of the night, the Lord looks down from his pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and then he throws it into confusion. And the chariot wheels come off and their pursuit is stopped. And now, if this was a movie, the film slows down and the camera zooms in on the petrified face of one Egyptian officer, and you can hear his words of terror. Let's get away from the Israelites because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Moses stretches out his hands once more. The, the waters come down, of course, over the Egyptians and they are drowned. Now, for that moment, this is a great moment. Fear is banished 
The enemy is destroyed. God's people are delivered. And what is left? Exaltation. The, the next morning, as far as they can see along the shores they're standing on, are the bodies of the Egyptian soldiers washing up. Now, you and I might recoil from that image, but we do so from the comfort of peaceable Australia on a large island with no real enemy and no one who's been trying to destroy us. But you stand with the Israelites, you are not looking at the bodies of supportive neighbours, you know, people, you know, who really had your best interests in mind. You are looking at the bodies of soldiers who had oppressed you and who had enslaved you and who had now come after you in their fury with all their war machines to kill you. You are looking at the bodies of soldiers who were set in their minds to terminate your existence. Do you remember that movie, Terminator? Okay, it's an old one, right? <laughs> Poor Arnie, he's so saggy now. <laughs> but back then in his prime, whew, I wouldn't say that to Arnie, right? He is playing the indestructible cyborg assassin from the future who comes back into the present, now our past, to terminate a woman named Sarah Connor. And right throughout the movie, you feel the fear of Sarah Connor running, running, running from this being that wants to kill her but can't itself be killed. And then when at the end, the Terminator miraculously, in a twist, gets terminated what you feel when you because you've been standing in Sarah's shoes the whole time is just relief just relief and joy and that's what the israelites would have felt and seeing the bodies of the soldiers was proof that they were finally safe because god their god had done it for them he had destroyed those who would destroy them and listen to their response chapter 14 verse 31 when the israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, what happened? The people feared the Lord. And you would, looking at all those bodies on the shore. To have him on your side is an awesome and great and yet at the same time a fearful thing, isn't it? It is so big it's bigger than the capacity of your heart. The people feared the Lord and then they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And then they sang. And here are the words, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord, Yahweh, he is who he is, but boy, he is, and I'm so glad he is. The Lord is his name. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, greater than all the gods of Egypt, and there were no greater gods known to the ancient world, for well, he is higher than them, highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. They saw, they feared, they put their trust in the Lord and in his servant, and then they sang. And that is the story of the Exodus. And it's a wonderful story. But what significance does it have for you and for me? Well, it tells us that the Lord is a God who fights for his people. Now, you may not be used to thinking of God as a warrior. You know, Jesus didn't turn up with a whopping big sword or a bow and arrow or, you know, an AK-47. But this is the God who fights for us. That's who God is. He fought for the Israelites and he fought for us. We say, how did God fight for us? 
When did God fight for us? We've not been in slavery in Egypt. We've not stood literally with them at the shore of the Red Sea. Well, that is true, isn't it? But we have been in slavery. We were born in slavery. A slavery to sin and to death and to fear. And death, let's face it, it's more than just stopping breathing, isn't it, in the Bible? We sanitize it because we think it's only biological. Well, of course it is that. That's a curse, but it's far, far worse. It's spiritual, it's personal, it's eternal, and it's separation from God. It is being under the judgment of God. That is naturally what we are in slavery to. And you know it, and I know it, because we're experts at it. Sin, the conscious hardening of our hearts against God, and death, the falling under the eternal judgment of God. And of course, being in slavery to these things, we know from the story of the Israelites that slavery is not something you can get out of by yourself. We need God to redeem us out of that slavery. To think that we could do it ourselves, it's like an Egyptian soldier bogged in the mud with his wheels fallen off, but still optimistic. (laughs) We can get out of this. Absolute madness. This is a bigger slavery than being in slavery to Pharaoh. This is a slavery of cosmic proportions. This involves life, death, sin, God, the way things are in the universe. Who can redeem us out of that? Well, as with most things in the Bible, it all has to do with the Lord's servant, Jesus. The New Testament draws a strong identification between Jesus and God's people. You know, in in the book of Exodus... God first declared Israel his firstborn son, Exodus 3.22, burning bush moment. And then in the book of Exodus, of course, they were baptised, weren't they, in the waters of the Red Sea, though they didn't get wet. That's a little interesting thing for your theology of baptism. But they were baptised, right? They went through the waters. They came out the other side. Well, guess what? When was it that Jesus was declared from heaven to be God's son? That is baptism, wasn't it? This is my son. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Sinners got baptized. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus hadn't committed any sins. He didn't need to be baptized. Why was he baptized? John comes up to John to be baptized. John says, we got it wrong. I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized by me. Let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. Why did Jesus get baptized? To identify as God's son, with God's son, Israel. He identified with sinners, right? Now, why did he need to identify with sinners? Because they needed another exodus, another redemption. Because, yes, although they had been set free from slavery to Egypt, but were now under the Romans, forget that, The greater thing is that they were not free from slavery to sin. Straight after the Israelites were baptised, they were led into the desert where they were tested for 40 years, but they failed and perished because of their sinful hearts. That, That was the problem. That was the deepest slavery that they could not shake. Jesus, God's son, was different. Straight after his baptism, he was led into the desert to be tested and tempted for 40 days, not 40 years, but 40 days, 
by Satan himself. But whereas Israel failed in the desert, Jesus didn't. He was the true Israelite, you see, in whom there was nothing false. He who identified with sinners, he now becomes the focus of our redemption, this greater redemption. And he spoke about it, you know, on the mountain where Jesus was transfigured. You might remember, Jesus talked with Moses about his departure, or literally, his exodus. Jesus spoke with Moses about another exodus. What exodus? Well, it's the exodus that God had already spoken about 600 years after Moses, 700 years before Jesus, in Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 52. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. This is the language of the exodus. The Lord laying bare his holy arm in the sight of the nations. And he speaks of a new exodus. The language is there. Depart, depart, go out from there. You will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go with you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Isaiah foretold a new exodus. Jesus and Moses spoke of Jesus' exodus. What exodus? The very next verse in Isaiah begins that passage. Isaiah 53, which speaks of the suffering of God's servant. The passage which speaks in detail about Jesus' death and his resurrection to life again. That is the exodus. That is where the Lord God becomes our rear guard and fights for us and lays bare his holy arm. You wouldn't have seen it unless you knew Isaiah and were able to see what happened through the eye of faith. But Jesus was fighting with us. Indeed, after speaking with Moses, Jesus came down from the mountain what happened? He set his face towards Jerusalem and he went there knowing that when he got there he would be delivered to be crucified and knowing that on the cross he, the true Israelite, he was going to step into the ring for us and he was going to fight for us and achieve a far greater redemption for us than had been achieved before. How? Because he would suffer sin's curse. He would suffer the separation from God which we deserved. We all like sheep have gone astray, said Isaiah. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord lays on him the iniquity of us all. And after the suffering of his soul, he would see the light of life and be satisfied, Isaiah 53. He came out on the other side victorious, didn't he, when he rose from the dead. We may still feel like at times we are standing with the Israelites facing the Red Sea. We're growing older. And it's very hard when you go to funeral after funeral not to think of your own mortality, isn't it? Well, guess what? We need to know there has been a day when the Lord fought for us and he overcame. Now, yes, we may still face death, but I just want to tell you the nature of death has entirely changed, hasn't it? For those in Christ Jesus, death is no longer separation from God. What is it? It is a changing of clothes. That's what it is. It's removing this flesh. It's putting on another immortal one, imperishable. But death has been robbed of its sting. Yeah, there's grief, sure. Temporary grief. 
but death has been entirely changed. It is no longer the judgment that it once was. And if our hearts should fear, we need to hear the Lord's words for us today. Do not be afraid. Uh, he wouldn't have said that unless we were tempted to be afraid. <laughs> he knows us. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You have seen the deliverance the Lord has brought to you today through Jesus Christ. Have a look at the shoreline, the bodies washed up there, the carcass of death, sin with its enslaving shackles. Well, those powers more destructive than chariots and horsemen, they have lost their power for us. What should our response be? We've been told, chapter 14, verse 31, when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. And they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant, and then they sang. So here is God's call for us, you see, to look and to see what God has done for us at the cross, to fear the Lord, and then to put our trust in him and in his servant Jesus, and then sing of the redemption. God has won for us. Now, I didn't check, Steve. Is there going to be a song right after? Can I ask the musos to come up now? And as they come up, uh, the rest of us, let's shut our eyes and let's pray. Our Father, we will, we will sing to you. You, our Lord, have become our victory. You are our strength. Christ is our song. He is our salvation. You are a warrior. Who amongst the gods is like you, O Lord? In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. And we praise you. God, we exalt you. We exalt you and your servant, Jesus. You have accomplished a redemption that our little brains cannot comprehend. It is so vast. Thank you, Father that you carry us. Amen.